Our readings from Isaiah chapter 43, verse 8. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together, and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this, and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right, and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Saviour. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are made witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also, henceforth, I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I send to Babylon, and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honour me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I will give water in the wilderness, river in, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings, or honoured me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings, or wearied you with frankincense. You have not brought me sweet cane with money, or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned, and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary, and deliver Jacob to utter destruction, and Israel to reviling. Every day, when you wake up, you get out bait, you make your cup of coffee, you are faced with a choice. When you walk into the office, you fire your computer, or you step into the meeting room, you are faced with a choice. Or when your colleague asks you the question, where do you go this lunchtime? Or why do you always have Thursday one to two blocked out on your diary? 
Well, back then, you have a choice. The choice is the question of where your allegiance lies. Is it with God or with man? Is it with God or with the world? Was it with God or yourself? You see, we face a choice every day. Do we fear men or do we fear God? And it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. All of us face a choice of where our ultimate allegiance lies. It could be your boss, others around you, or yourself. So we all face that choice every day. But obviously you expect me to answer. The person standing in front of you with the Bible in hand, I have to say that the answer is, is God. But in practice, it is hard and not straightforward. Because there is apprehension or fear in wholeheartedly committing to the Lord. A friend of mine named Dan, uh, he often tells me, Joel, I can see the logic of uh, the biblical narrative the historical reliability of of Jesus and the words that he says, it's utterly compelling what he says about sin and his idea of forgiveness. But to wholeheartedly follow him, well, I'm really afraid of the impact on my life. Wholehearted allegiance to him, well, it feels like a burden, an obligation, and it's really stressful. And the last thing I want, Joel, is stress. And we can understand, my friend Dan, because wholeheartedly following the Lord can seem like a burden. So why? Why should we choose God each day? Why should we choose God over everything else every day? And so this is the key reason why we have in Isaiah chapters 40 to 48 this term. Its whole thrust is to persuade, to convince, to show you that God, well, he is the one true God. He is the only God. He is the only God worth committing wholeheartedly to. And he's the only one that you should trust. Verse 10 in our passage today. That you may know and believe me and understand that I I am He, the only one true God. And you see, past in the past few weeks, Israel was in the same position as we were. They were facing the threat of exile and they had a choice. Where would their allegiance lie? With God or with the idols? And this whole section of Isaiah, it's arguing for them to focus on, on God. Well, I'll place the wider structure of Isaiah 40 to 48 on the, on the handout, the front of the handout, and you can chase it up in your own time. But a few observations uh, before we move on. Uh, firstly, we've been in a courtroom, chapters 41 to 45. It's bracket this whole section, and it smacks out a court case. And we are as if as we are in the stands, uh, watching the evidence being laid out to compel us to recognize God as the true God. But there's a real complexity in this court case because you see the success of the nation, well, it's intimately linked to the God. It's a bit like football managers. When a club does really well, the manager is being revered. But when the club does badly, uh, the manager, 
well, like Thomas Tuchel, he gets the sack. And in the section of Isaiah, Israel is doing badly. Like God's chosen, described as blind and deaf. They are doing badly and they are facing exile. And so God, God should get the sack. Yet, in the centre point of this whole court case, we have a threefold declaration of God in our passage today. I, I am He. It is the great monotheistic declaration that God is the only God, and there is no God beside Him. And so Isaiah wants to say, or God wants to say to us today, that despite what it seems, Despite what the options are available on the surface, for Israel it was Baal, Marduk, Ashur, ancient gods in the world. But for us today in the 21st century, the opinions of the masses, money, myself, 21st century gods, well, God wants to say that He is still the only God and there is none besides Him. I I am He. Well, enough orientation. Let's get straight into our text. And if you're following the handout, we are on our first point. Only God predicts the future. Only God predicts the future. Look at verse 9. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right, and let them hear and say it is true. You see what God is doing? He is challenging the nations for them to declare, to, to declare who can predict the former things, who can tell the future. But look at what God says in verse 12. I declared and saved and proclaimed, when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. God is saying, long ago I declared, I saved, and I proclaimed that you will be my witnesses. Long ago God has predicted the future of Israel. But it's one thing that uh, to say that you can predict the future. Uh, the big question is, well, what is the evidence? What is the evidence? Well, the thing to realize is that there's a key Old Testament text uh, behind this chapter in Isaiah 43. Uh, that is Deuteronomy chapter 32. 11 direct references to a chapter uh, in chapters 43. Let me read a couple of verses from Deuteronomy 32 on your handout, chapter 32, verse 15. But Jeshurun, that is Israel, grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. Do you see God has predicted the idolatrous behavior of Israel? But more than that, God says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 39, See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God beside me. I kill, and I make alive. I wound, 
and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. You notice the connection in our passage today. In passage today, I declared and saved, verse 12, and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. Uh, what we have here in Isaiah is the Old Testament quoting the Old Testament. But more than just sort of spotting connections between uh, Deuteronomy and Isaiah, uh, is to realize the significance of Deuteronomy 32. Because it is a song of the whole history of Israel, from its formation to its failure to his exile and its return. So God in Deuteronomy 32 wrote them a song that predicts the creation of the nation, its idolatrous behavior, its punishment, and how they will be saved in the end. And so Deuteronomy 32 is the evidence prophesied about 600 years before Isaiah speaks and tells of the whole history of Israel. And so what we have here is, is not palm reading, it's not astrology or tarot cards, it is not speculation about who the love of your life is or what your ideal dream job is. This is hard evidence. It's detailing the whole history of a nation. At verse 12, God says, I proclaimed, I declared and saved when there was no strange God among you. You see, God, only God, predicts the future, both exile and return. Long ago, God has already predicted the history of Israel. And what Isaiah is saying here is a really subversive point. You see, on the surface, Israel's exile seems that they're doing badly and God should get the sack. But if God had already predicted the exile and return, in reality, it proves God's uniqueness. Only God predicts the future. And so let me ask, who else predicts the future? Who else? To be fair, some of you are clever enough to model future financial indicators. But we all know that's not 100% accurate. But again, perhaps not totally pointless as well. But right here in our passage, what has been predicted is just on a different scale. It is the rise and fall and the restoration of a nation. It is the whole history of a nation predicted. And think about the predictions of the Christ, his birthplace, the type of death of Israel's Messiah, the specificity, Bethlehem, the Roman cross, the Christ, predicted um, long ago. And so only God, only God predicts the future and no one else. Well, but there is more. Isaiah gives us more reason to choose God against anything else. Because not only can he predict the future, well, secondly, only God does a new thing. Look at verse 18. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? You see what's saying? God, he is doing something new. But to understand what's new... Well, we need to understand what is old. And what is old is right there in verse 16. Look at verse 16. 
Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. See, the language here is reminiscent of the Exodus, the Red Sea. As Moses raised his staff into into the sky, the, the sea is parted, dry ground appears in the midst of the waters, and the whole nation of Israel passes through. And the forces of Egypt, they chase after. And what happens? And Moses lowers, lowers his staff. And the waters come crashing, crashing in, quenching the armies like a wake. And that is the old, the great rescue from Egypt, the Exodus. But the focus in the passage here is, is the new. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing, now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Well, what is new about this this new exodus? Look at verse 20. Sorry, from verse 19. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honour me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I will give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. The people whom I form for my praise, that they might form for myself, that they might declare my praise. Well, what's new about it? Well, in one sense, it's not really explicit. The description, you might say, sounds really like the old Exodus. Away in the wilderness, giving water, giving drink to the people. Well, it sounds like Israel walking through, through the wilderness after the Red Sea. And this new thing, well, it's, it's quite subtle and it requires insight. Well, what is new? Well, I wonder whether verse 21 gives us a small glimpse. Verse 21, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. See, I think there's a hint there. The old exodus was meant to lead people to praise God, but it failed. But the new exodus... Well, it will accomplish that goal. This new thing, well, it will finally lead his people to declare his praise. And so only God can do a new thing. Who else can do it? Of course it's only him. He did the old rescue. Only he can do the new. And it's only him who will cause his people to declare his praise. Only God does a new thing. But here I think we come to the core issue in our passage. Because causing people to declare his praise, well, it's not a straightforward task. Let me ask, how does the call to wholeheartedly declare God's praise well, sit in each, um, each and every one of you? Well, perhaps for some of you, there's a real desire. But for others, the thought of wholeheartedly declaring God's praise, well, it seems like a real chore. It's a bit like my friend Dan. And that is one thing to recognise the power of God. He can predict the future, sure. But it's another thing to, to want to orientate your life to declare his praise. A decision which will impact our money, 
our time and our reputation and comfort. And so great displays of power, well, it's not enough. Um, well, Israel, they experienced all their great displays of power in the Exodus, and yet it was not enough. And following God, well, it could feel weary for Israel. Verse 22, you have been weary of me, O Israel. And following God can feel like a burden. Verse 23, I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you in frankincense. You see, if great miracles wasn't enough to turn the people, turning people to praise God, well, it requires something new. But how does God people cause how does God cause his people to declare his praise? Well, step one, he tells the truth. Show of hands here if you know someone who is terrible at admitting their mistakes. Show of hands. I hope it's not yourself. Look at verse 22. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings, or honoured me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings, or wearied you with frankincense. You have not brought me sweet cane with money, or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you... You have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. You see, it's a stinging rebuke for anyone who thinks that following God is a burden. You see, God, he does not burden his people with the need for offerings. Yes, there were laws to regulate the sacrificial system. But the sacrifices and offerings were there as an expression of inner gratitude. God, he does not burden his people as if he needs our time, our money, our sheep. You see, he owns it all. He is over time. This world is his. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And so God, he does not need anything from us. He does not burden his people. Rather, it's his people who have burdened him. Verse 24, But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. You see, we have all burdened him with our sins. So what does God do? Well, step one, he tells the truth. But then step two, what would God do to the guilty? And to those who have burdened him with their sins. But more than the guilty, to, to the ones who accuse him as the problem. And that's where we come to our third and final point. Only God blots out all sins. Only God blots out all sins. Look at verse 25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not Remember your sins. Listen again. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake. And I will not remember your sins. What? I hear you say. In the face of a blatant miscarriage of justice, 
what does God say? I, I am he who blots out your transgressions. When the human thing is to punish, where the idols demand more, God says, I will not remember your sins. You see, only God blots out all sins. And the word blot is really, really striking. Well, it comes from Noah's Ark, where God promises to blot out evil men through the flood and judgment. But here, what is being blot out is not evil men, but our sins, our transgressions. And so God, he will destroy, he will obliterate, he will abolish every single last sin. And so who else responds to being wrong in the same way? Who else? Well, certainly not idols who keep taking and taking. Certainly not society who is quick to cancel any transgressor. Certainly not British politeness who fronts a polite smile but inside hold a grudge. Who in the face of a miscarriage of justice a kangaroo court, an angry mob, would allow himself to be nailed to a cross. Certainly not you, and certainly not me. And so who is like God? Do you know anyone like him? Who else is like him? Only God predicts the future. Only God does something new. Only God blots out all sin. I, I am he, declares the Lord. I am he, declares the Lord. And so that brings us back to the choice, the daily choice we all face. Will you give your allegiance to God or to the world, to the praise of men or to self-reliance? Do you see that God alone is the one true God, and he's the only one worth following. Verse 11. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no saviour. And the problem with society, I think, has understood God as a projection of their worst selves. I listened to a couple of adjectives that Richard Dawkins has used to describe God. I think that has really captured the imagination of wider society. This is what he says, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Petty, unjust, unforgiving, vindictive, megalomaniacal, capricious, malevolent, bully. And for an academic scholar, that is a fine example of a blind and deaf man describing God. You see, only God, he's the only one who would forgive all sins. Or perhaps you are someone here who has rejected God and the thought of following him, well, it feels like a burden. Let me ask, are you sure you understood you have really understood him. Do you know him? Do you know that there is none like him? He is the only one who sees right through you 
and tells you the truth about yourself and yet blots out every single last sin. And so do you know him? Well, for many of us, we would call ourselves Christians and sometimes we could slip into feeling that following Jesus, well, it's a real burden. Constantly challenging what I, I want in life, constantly needing to speak about him. And in our worst moments, we think, what a chore, what a chore to be a Christian. You see, in those times where we forget, I think we forget who God is. He does not need anything from us. We have burdened him, but he alone has blotted out every single last sin. And so this is an encouragement for you as you head back to work. You know, when your colleague, he asks you, where do you go for lunch? Before you answer, decide now. Will you choose the one and only choose God, true God, or will you fear man? Well, why don't I pray for our time? I, I am he who blots out your transgressions. Our Father, we praise you that you are the Lord, the Lord who is gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Thank you we have come to know you through the Lord Jesus, who exemplifies love, mercy, and grace. And pray that that would persuade us and motivate us to choose you over all things, each and every day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.